This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Horticulture, spare time, and your local garden shops. Lavender Head. It can make it all right. And support for Cayman comes apart from the Pacific Justice Center, where attorney Mel Pearlston offers 30 years of experience in marijuana defense on the North Coast. To schedule an appointment for an initial consultation and case analysis, you can call Mel at 707-629-3333. And here we have coming up tonight, Ask Your Herb Doctor. And so without further ado, here they come. And a reminder, this is KMUD, Garberville, 99, or sorry, 91.1 FM. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines and dietary advice. Um, to continue, uh, the last two months uh, we've been talking about the role of good sugars and bad sugars. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, again, this month uh, we're very pleased to be joined by Dr. Ray Pete, uh, who's going to uh, expose the uh, risk of endotoxin and uh, dietary effects. Uh, that influence endotoxin production. There's a lot of research uh, now to show that endotoxin is associated with many inflammatory uh, diseases that you wouldn't normally associate with food. So the adage, you are what you eat, uh, is very true. Uh, and perhaps we should say that uh, you suffer as, as a result of what you eat. So um, we're excited to have uh, Dr. Ray Pete with us again this month. Uh, and we'll be hearing from him on this uh, scientific-based uh, approach to endotoxin. 
Now you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Carverville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's topic. Uh, the number here if you live in the area is 9233911 or if you live outside the area the toll free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So Dr. Pete are you, are you with us? Yes. Hi, th- thank you so much for joining. As always, uh, new people can be listening who perhaps have never heard you before, so uh, would you please uh, just give a, an outline of your expertise? Um, uh, I'm um, studying hormones and nutrition um, mostly. Um, I uh, got my PhD in uh, physiology with a biochemical orientation uh, concentrating on reproductive aging and that was when I got interested in uh, the interactions of, of estrogen, uh, oxygen, uh, unsaturated fatty acids and uh, the, the uh, toxic interactions of uh, some of our natural uh, materials with environmental materials and processes. Okay, um, so to to talk about this month, the uh, the role of endotoxin, uh, if, would you just describe endotoxin? It's a, its chemical name is lipopolysaccharide, and uh, there are several kinds of bacteria that make similar things, but uh, it's a combination of a, a starch-like molecule with some uh, uh, fatty acids attached to it. And it's uh, so widely distributed that uh, all animals uh, have a, a system for reacting to it and defending themselves against it. And it seems to be partly a bacterial uh, defense against the bacteria's environment. Uh, and so there's, there's an evolved back-and-forth relationship between uh, animals and the bacteria and uh, it's a a matter of things getting out of balance that uh, causes the endotoxin to be a problem. Okay and so um, I hear of uh, many uh, foods that uh, promote uh, this production. Um, Would you be able to list some specific foods that um, people should be thinking about before they consume them given that that we're going to open up the uh, negative effects of endotoxin? Um, Mostly it seems to be things that are poorly digested that uh, pass along uh, with a lot of food value down into the intestine where um, bacteria thrive on them. Uh, Things like uh, fruit are so quickly digested by most people. uh, The the uh, liquid parts, minerals, and sugars uh, can be largely absorbed before you get down to the bacterial area of the intestine. And uh, so the more indigestible the food is, the more risky it is for uh, supporting uh, an overgrowth of bacteria. And if your digestion happens to be poor, then more foods will uh, pass along and become bacteria food. Uh, indigestible uh, 
fiber, fibrous materials, uh, types of starch that uh, can't be broken down by uh, animal enzymes or human enzymes uh, become good food for bacteria. And many of these are being promoted uh, for intestinal health to stimulate uh, the uh, peristalsis and so on. But um, about 30 years ago, uh, some Australian studies uh, saw that people who ate a lot of oat bran actually uh, were increasing their risk for uh, bowel cancer. And uh, certain types of fiber uh, cause such uh, intense growth of bacteria that the bacteria produce many types of toxin, not just the the uh, fragment of the bacterial coat that's known as endotoxin, but uh, they can produce uh, modified uh, proteins, modified fats, and so on from undigested food. So uh, endotoxin is just one kind of universal uh, uh, toxin that everyone <clears throat> has some basic defenses against it, uh, while there are other types of toxins that uh, are more specifically uh, influenced by your diet. So when people say, oh, I can't um, have a normal bowel movement if I don't eat lots of fiber in my diet. Uh, well, there are some very safe fibers that um, come from plants that um, have their own defenses against bacteria and fungi. Uh, uh, raw carrots, for example, if, if you've uh, noticed that many vegetables will spoil in the refrigerator while carrots still seem to be completely clean and unattacked by bacteria or molds. Uh, that's because there are uh, chemicals that are defensive for those those plants, when we eat them, they remain uh, like antibiotics all the way through our intestine, so they are very hard for bacteria to grow on. And in that way, they also provide a good roughage that doesn't get broken down by bacteria. Um, yeah, and it can also bind some of the toxins produced by bacteria so that uh, rather than increasing the amount produced, it can actually bind it and carry it out. Uh, subtracting toxins. Uh, it's almost like the activated charcoal that's used for detoxifying mm -hmm. uh, ingested chemicals. The carrot's a natural way of doing that. And when people um, say, oh, if I eat a good uh, green salad, then I have a wonderful bowel movement, is that because the bacteria are stimulating, actually stimulating the peristalsis because we don't have cellulose digesting enzymes and um, it's it, actually relying on the bacteria to ferment and digest the cellulose? Uh, yeah, some people get terribly constipated when they eat uh, raw vegetables. Other people, it's enough irritation to uh, stimulate the intestine. Uh, their doctors for a long time have warned against using stimulant laxatives, but when they recommend eating uh, vegetables, uh, it's, it's really primarily a stimulant action produced by irritating substances either in the vegetable itself or produced by the bacterial growth. Um, if you've ever uh, left a, a head of lettuce 
in a closed container at room temperature. You know how how quickly lettuce can decompose mm-hmm. uh, compared to, to a, a carrot. Uh, lettuce is is very good bacterial food, mm-hmm. and so it can become very toxic if you uh, happen to catch the wrong bacteria. And so the last couple months we've spent um, time talking about the different types of sugars, the good sugars versus the bad sugars. I, I don't really like to use that good and bad <laughs> description, but you've been describing, Dr. Pete, the health benefits of an easily digested sugar, one that gets digested in the stomach and very high up in the intestinal tract, thereby not providing any uh, food for bacteria further down. And these are mainly fruits and honey, soft, ripe, juicy fruits and honey. And even white sugar is pretty rapidly absorbed. And the lactose in milk is another good sugar. And lactose in milk. And those are all things that our human digestive tracts can absorb quickly and efficiently without having to rely on bacterial degradation. Versus... They, they also have a, a, defect, a defensive effect against the uh, products of the bacteria so that once you are poisoned by the endotoxin, the sugars uh, protect by um, decreasing the, the um, inflammation reaction to them. So if you ate um, starches for dinner tonight, then tomorrow or tonight before bed, some good sugars will help protect against some of the endotoxin that could be produced by the bacteria that are digesting the starches. So those are what um, we call the bad sugars, and they um, come from more resistant to digestion. They're, you know, the the starches are more resistant to digestion and include the breads, the pastas, the cakes, the cookies, the flours, the grains, the beans, rice, those types of uh, food products that don't get immediately digested in the stomach and then can be digested further on down by Um, the bacteria. Another kind of defensive food is the um, saturated fat. Uh, These are, if you think of soap and its antibacterial effect, uh, the saturated fats are mildly antiseptic. And so if you eat uh, butter with your potato, the uh, starch... uh, is less likely to become a, a, a toxic material for the bacteria because the the butter saturated fats will suppress bacterial growth. So that means mashed potatoes with lots of milk and butter <laughs> can protect against eating these starches that are a little more resistant to digestion and cooking them well. If you cook your starches re- really really well, like weren't you saying, Doctor? If you boil potatoes for forty five minutes to an hour, yeah. That they, if they're uh, softer, then they'll be digested more easily in your stomach. Mm-hmm. It's pretty basic when you think of it. You know, you think of grains; they're they're quite resistant to digestion. And then you think of uh, a beautifully ripe papaya or mango. Or right now we have nice soft persimmons in this part of the country. <laughs> Those are pretty easily digested. How um I was wondering, Dr. P. Um, you don't actually um, uh, sign up for the belief of the commensal organisms in the gut. Uh, uh, is that right? As far as, as far as you understand it, there needn't be uh, gut bacteria. Um, when we were studying, it was just such a 
such a, a doctrine, the commensal organism kind of theory. You know, everyone's got commensal gut bacteria and you need them. <laughs> but uh, well, the experiments with germ-free uh, animals, uh, they do find they're actually healthier than, <laughs> than the normal uh, germ-infected animals until if they grow up never exposed to uh, bacteria they seem very healthy but then they've never developed their immune defenses mm -hmm. and so uh, when they are exposed they're extremely susceptible to mm -hmm. infection so uh, if we're going to live in a world with germs we might as well get used to them because <laughs> okay. uh, when, when I was looking at the, the uh, some of the research on endotoxin um, and when we were studying for the uh, microbiology lectures, you know, endotoxin was always something associated with E. coli or salmonella or, or typhoid. Um, and so, so far as our own normal, we'll, we'll say that they exist, but our own commensal, our own gut bacteria, uh, our own gut bacteria then are, in their own right, able to be, be a reasonable threat to us in terms of toxin production if if when we eat these foods that uh, you've mentioned um, are healthy, helpful for those bacteria to live on, then the uh, endotoxin production by our own bacteria can be significant. Is that right? Is that right? Um, yeah, all the bacteria produce something that can be uh, sickness-inducing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the lactobacillus uh, itself, even though it's on balance, probably uh, uh, favorable. It the um, polysaccharide material in in its covering uh, can also uh, produce inflammation and a whole range of pathological reactions. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, really a matter of balance. Right. So the, the very cell wall of these bacteria can, in their own right, trigger inflammatory responses. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, what about the um, what about the research that's been done uh, in cancer, in endotoxin in the formation of cancers because of that chronic inflammation that happens with um, endotoxin being absorbed into the bloodstream and, and triggering those secondary effects. Um, I, I think um, that's a, a very plausible approach. Um, if you look at practically any uh, degenerative disease, uh, arthritis, uh, gout, uh, dementia, epilepsy, um, uh, hepatitis, uh, almost anything is, is uh, crucially uh, made worse by the uh, endotoxin once you get stressed right. uh, then all of these things are exacerbated by the endotoxin. Now just, just describe the word stress. What do you mean when you say stressed? Um, it, just a mental stress for example that will uh, shift the blood uh, away from your digestive system out to your uh, legs and arms Okay. The, the fight or flight reaction. Right, so the, the if, adrenaline. Yeah. Okay. If that persists uh, for or is very intense, the intestine uh, loses its barrier function and bacteria can uh, 
go right through the uh, the membrane, mm-hmm. lightening the intestine into the bloodstream, even passing through the whole intestine out into the abdominal cavity. Okay. And uh, before the the whole bacteria goes through, uh, a, a much lower degree of stress will will begin letting the endotoxin flow in mm-hmm. at a an increased rate. So just uh, just thinking stressful thoughts will tend to increase your endotoxin absorption. Right. I mean, it's, it's very real. Just, uh, I think most people, when they hear that stressful thoughts, they probably start chuckling, you know. But it's 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 pretty straightforward. It's it's cause and effect. And what you're saying about stress is very real physiologically. So uh, that's why I wanted to bring out the whole endotoxin thing and the diets that promote endotoxin because of the bacteria feeding on and what you can do to help yourself can be a really very simple uh, way of improving your health. Without. Like sitting down and having a relaxing meal well, that <laughs> instead of eating on the go. Yeah. Well, and the, uh, the things that you've done in the last several years contribute to uh, how risky any little stress is. Okay. Um, for example, women who were going to a fertility clinic, uh, a doctor had a theory that uh, maybe their ovaries were infected the reason they weren't fertile so he he put some of them on a moderate dose of penicillin or other antibiotic and uh, many of them noticed uh, that their mood and headaches uh, were uh, relieved by the antibiotic (laughs) and uh, that got the doctors interested in seeing what was happening to their hormones Mm -hmm. and that they also became pregnant (laughs) Uh, but they saw that before they took the antibiotic, uh, the circulating in their blood, they had a stress level of cortisol mm-hmm. and a very high ratio of estrogen to progesterone. Right. And taking the, the uh, antibiotic, uh, their cortisol and the estrogen decreased and the progesterone increased. And that turns out uh, in that particular study, they didn't uh, determine the mechanism, but they've also seen exactly the same pattern in studies with rats. Mm-hmm. And I've done the same measurements in women who had those syndromes, PMS and infertility. And just two or three days of eating a raw carrot salad every day, mm-hmm. uh, they had exactly that shift of hormones, increased progesterone, decreased estrogen, mm. and cortisol. Wow. And um, the, the uh, other research shows that endotoxin alone will account for exactly those changes. Uh, you inject an animal with endotoxin and its uh, estrogen, even a male animal, the estrogen will go up maybe five times higher than normal, and the progesterone and testosterone fall sharply. Mm. 
Okay. All right. Well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's topic of endotoxin and its uh, systemic effects and how you can help yourself. Um, the number here is 923-3911, or if you're outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So, Dr. Pete, the, um, in terms of endotoxin production and um, diet, how? Because I know that uh, I know that you're very, uh, very keen uh, on the saturated fats, and you've got lots of research, and there's plenty of information out there to show that the polyunsaturated fats are actually pretty bad for you. Um, how about endotoxin and uh, the PUFA, the polyunsaturated fatty acids? Is is there any increased uh, any increased link? Between the two, um, yeah, the, um, uh, they do favor the growth of many microorganisms, but they also interact at every stage. For example, the uh, permeability of the intestine is increased by the polyunsaturated fats. Okay, and the, the um, one of the first reactions when a cell uh, senses the uh, endotoxin is to produce nitric oxide okay. and nitric oxide uh, increases the permeability leakiness of the intestine and uh, if your tissues happen to be uh, well supplied with polyunsaturated fats the, the uh, nitric oxide uh, increases the release and amount of uh, free fatty acids in circulation and so the uh, the person who has eaten a lot of polyunsaturated fat once a stress triggers the absorption of of uh, endotoxin then the reaction can be much more intense and those same uh, things will uh, trigger the release of, of uh, serotonin and uh, increase uh, the the, um, all of the inflammatory mediators uh, and the environment of um, increased estrogen, decreased progesterone and testosterone will um, continue that like a cascade of, of uh, bad effects. Right. So just to describe for some of our listeners, estrogen, 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 is a very inflammatory hormone that's involved in a lot of uh, cancers. It is... Uh, it is useful at that level when it's balanced with progesterone, which is an anti-aging hormone. It's a fertility hormone. So if you want to look at it, the estrogen's the bad guy, progesterone's a good guy, and these bacteria tend to increase the estrogen in relation to the progesterone. And then for the polyunsaturated fats, those consist of fats from most mainly seeds, nuts and seeds, uh, almond oil, sunflower oil, safflower, corn, soy, cottonseed, all those liquid oils except olive oil, which is not very polyunsaturated. Olive oil is only 10% polyunsaturated, and the saturated fats are the ones that are antibacterial, so they're antimicrobial, and they will inhibit the bacterial growth in the intestine, and those include butter, coconut oil, um, palm oil, palm shortening, not the unrefined, and also some animal fats that are from animals that haven't been eating corn and soy 
uh, unless they are beef and lamb that do eat corn and so they have four stomachs they can process the fats into a saturated fat whereas uh, chicken fat and pig fat are going to be polyunsaturated because the chickens and the pigs are fed polyunsaturated grains and beans and uh, corn and soy so that's just to give our listeners a little update there on what we're talking about here with the polyunsaturates and the saturated fats and the different hormones Okay. Um, how about the uh, association of uh, cancer uh, with endotoxin production? Um, the, um, the, every level you look at practically uh, is uh, a promoting effect. Uh, there are a few uh, positive effects of endotoxin, our, our long uh, exposure to, to these toxins uh, will build up certain defenses, but uh, beyond that very basic kind of immunity, uh, which includes things like uh, HDL cholesterol, mm -hmm. uh, the, the uh, lipoproteins are uh, defenses against uh, the endotoxins largely, uh, so that that's one of the defensive effects of high cholesterol. Okay. And uh, the uh, reactions uh, beyond that very simple level of, of defense are all pro-inflammatory, uh, tend to stimulate uh, oh, development of, of uh, fibrosis as a... a sign of uh, deteriorating tissue function, uh, and fibrosis and atrophy uh, make the, uh, the tumor uh, harder to get at and uh, uh, more autonomous. Uh, the, the atrophy effect uh, is something that uh, estrogen participates in mm. in, um, in many ways. Uh, the, the medical establishment has convinced the public that estrogen uh, has some anabolic protective effects, especially um, for the bone preventing osteoporosis. But um, the overall effect of uh, the um, inflammation produced by endotoxin uh, creates a systemic age-like uh, atrophy of all of the tissues. Osteoporosis, for example, is extremely uh, sensitive to um, endotoxin. Endotoxin activates all of the factors that stop the bone replacement mm -hmm. and uh, accelerate its decomposition. And it, it's those uh, atrophic processes that uh, weaken the immune system's ability to remove a cancer once it starts. Um, so atrophy and tumor formation are really uh, very closely connected, and endotoxin is, is pushing on both of those in an unfavorable way. Mm. Yeah, pretty scary, huh? Okay, so there's... Uh 
like I, like I was wanting to bring out the the whole thing about uh, your food, what you eat, uh, and what you shouldn't eat. It really should be taken quite seriously, just because it's it's a very inexpensive way to stay healthy. There's no drugs involved. There's no treatment involved. Uh, you're your own doctor, uh, and the more you take care of yourself in terms of what you put into your body, the better off you're going to be. So, um, just to recap the uh, endotoxin uh, gut bacteria and lipopolysaccharide side of uh, uh, the liberation from the bacteria, the, uh, the starches, the, uh, the, the offending substances. Sarah, do you want to cover the offending substances? <laughs> Besides yeah. the starches, Dr. Pete, that um, I've already mentioned, the breads, the grains, beans and flowers and starchy um, root crops. <clears throat> Besides those, uh, what other foods will encourage the growth of bacteria that then could subsequently produce endotoxin? Um, the, um, the so-called fibrous materials, uh, that uh, a lot of them are being promoted as health foods, uh, lignin, uh, lignans, uh, that are uh, woody materials in many vegetables and grains. And like um, in flax seeds. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, generally, those tend to have an estrogen-promoting uh, effect right. and, and support the growth of, of bacteria. As well as have um, flax seeds also have PUFA, polyunsaturated fat, so those won't be inhibiting the growth of the bacteria like a saturated fat would be. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I just want to hold hold it there very quickly with uh, what you mentioned about lignin, because I was just reminded again that the uh, Dow Chemical Company were actually uh, trying to incorporate uh, lignins into bread, uh, and they were doing some research <laughs> at a USDA lab to see whether or not these lig lignins could be a viable starch source to be put in bread. And, and here it is. You've already mentioned lignins as being one of the other bad foods that could possibly be implicated. Yeah. I think they've used sawdust for many years. <laughs> uh, yeah. The cellulose yeah. is probably the safest fiber uh, uh -huh. if it's a clean kind of cellulose. Uh-huh. Yeah, now they were testing it. I w I'm friends with one of the scientists at the Food Safety Department of the USDA labs in Albany, and they were testing to see if they could boost the fiber content. And my friend said, just, you know, if, if people are going to eat bread, why can't they just eat whole grain bread? <laughs> why do they have to add a, a sawdust into it? <laughs> yeah, as, an, as another cautionary warning, I think, to people that are listening, that the industry is certainly uh, keen to make sure that there are no byproducts of an industry that are not sold. Um, so just be aware, there's lots of, like, high fructose corn syrup. It's just one of those examples. If, if something isn't uh, naturally occurring, uh, don't be surprised if what you're consuming is a byproduct of another industry that you're being told is actually going to be good for you. So look, it's the whole fish oil thing, um, and then the uh, uh, you know the paint industry with the flax uh, flaxseed oil, uh, how that suddenly became a food a food source rather than a paint uh, additive. So okay, well back to back to diet and endotoxin. Oh, one minute. Uh, this is your engineer. I actually had someone who called up and uh, had oh, okay. a question very much in this line. Uh, she had a question about uh, pediatric Crohn's disease okay. and a diet that would be good for that. Okay. Dr. Pete? Um, I think it's good to um, try raw carrot. Um, the, um, it's important how, to, how you uh, use the carrot, just 
eating a raw carrot is fine, but um, if you're going to make a salad, it should be, if possible, grated in longitudinal way so that you have uh, the longer uh, pieces of of, uh, fibrous material. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you chew it, you'll uh, have pretty uh, elongated fibers. You don't want to put it in a blender and definitely don't want to use a a juicer. The juice uh, isn't protective. And it removes most of the fiber as well. Yeah. Okay, so that would be that would be a starting point for uh, 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 pediatric Crohn's. And um, usually, uh, having plenty of milk and cheese in the diet is protective. The the bacteria that grow on milk are generally uh, the, the safer type of bacteria. Mm-hmm. Okay, because when when we were studying, I know that Crohn's was lumped together in the inflammatory bowel disorder section of. Uh, <laughs> of, of pathology. Um, quite a few people respond well to a thyroid supplement uh, because there's usually that uh, typical stress pattern of high cortisol, high estrogen, low um, progesterone. Yeah. And uh, thyroid is the hormone <clears throat> that helps to restore uh, the protective hormones and uh, reduce the stress hormones. Right. Okay, then, so for that caller, uh, certainly uh, addition of uh, carrot fiber in terms of carrot salad and then um, checking thyroid function, uh, maybe not necessarily against the uh, medical model of a blood test for TSH and T3 and T4, but to measure, um, I know you're a great advocate of the, uh, in fact, it's not yours, it was something that you said was always done uh, and up until the 20s or something like that, it was uh, commonly used to diagnose low thyroid and that was taking the uh, uh, resting pulse and temperature as an indicator of thyroid function before and after meals. So uh, for that person that called, again, the thyroid function can be measured uh, um, by temperature uh, before and after meals. And if anybody uh, wants any more information on that, uh, we'll be happy to send people uh, via, e- via email um, a, uh, a chart and they can maintain their, or measure their temperature and their pulses in relation to food. This is a very definite pattern to uh, how the temperature should rise and or the pulse should rise before and after meals. So, uh, yeah, between thyroid function and carrot salad then for that, that caller. There's and another, plenty of milk and cheese. And plenty of milk and cheese. There you go. Right. Because, and, again, they're always, I don't know, always maligned as mucus-forming products, but it's all, it's not true. So, there's another caller on the line. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Um, I have a couple questions. One was regarding the carrots not being juiced, um, because I use that a lot for uh, someone who has um, not, maybe not cancer, we don't know yet, but any of the cancer diets really call for a lot of vegetable juices and carrot juices as a big one. And so the other thing is, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Budwig diet, but uh, Dr. Budwig, a German woman, she had uh, uh, discovered or uh, introduced combining flaxseed oil with cottage cheese, organic of course, and blending them so that they would bond, and that bond would form, would help uh, cells form a uh, stronger electrical charge so that they could uh, break away and form new cells and not form uh, cancerous or abnormal cell structure. So 
one is on the carrot juice and the other is for the flaxseed oil using that. Of course, not the flaxseed oil, but uh, does it change that bacteria when it's combined and bonded with something like cottage cheese? And I can take my answer off the air. That's fine. All right. Thank you for your call. So, Dr. Pete, um, um, carrot one juice. One of the oldest treatments for cancer uh, was enemas uh, thousands of years ago. Uh, the doctors were recommending regular enemas to treat cancer, and uh, a few hundred years ago, uh, laxatives became uh, a standard feature of, of cancer treatment as well as many others. And uh, 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 just about 60 years, 70 years ago, uh, Max Gerson uh, started, uh, he cured his own migraines with uh, a change of diet, and he was, um, in the 20th century, he was the most famous advocate of a, a mostly vegetable diet, but he did use uh, liver. Liver juice uh, was one of his uh, components, and thyroid, typically uh, a good dose of thyroid was part of his program. And uh, so it was a, a nutritionally rational program, but he... Uh, twice in his book, in capital letters, said absolutely no oils. Uh, and uh, his uh, followers have changed the book, and uh, I think they were influenced by Johanna Budwig and, and her flax oil and cottage cheese diet. Uh, in 1954, uh, before Budwig had started uh, writing about cancer, a Mexican professor had an article in Prevention magazine advocating, I think it was a cup of linseed oil uh, per day as a purge uh, in the tradition of getting the intestine as clean as possible. And when you drink that much of a highly unsaturated oil, the um, the unsaturated fatty acids are converted to prostaglandins and cause intense uh, contraction and secretion of the intestine. And uh, so it's a, a very quick, thorough kind of laxative. But uh, that that was changed in uh, Budwig's uh, writing several years later uh, to um, think of of the linseed oil as a nutritional factor rather than as a laxative. And to the extent that it works as a laxative, it's very very likely help, helpful. But um, the rest of her program was um, curds, cottage cheese, basically. And uh, that's a very soothing, safe uh, diet that happens to be uh, less able to promote endotoxin than uh, other proteins uh, but uh, there, I think there are reasons that the, um, the vegetables uh, when, when you juice them you get lots of uh, minerals that allow you to eat to assimilate the, the sugars that are present in, in uh, leafy and other vegetables so uh, the Gerson diet and the the Budwig diet uh, had some very uh, rational factors. 
are basically keeping the intestine clean and uh, keeping the thyroid function up, I, I think, were the most important. And Dr. Pete, with the carrot juice, um, can you explain to our listeners why the carrot juice in, in particular would be um, um, lowering your good hormones? Um, and yeah, the, the carrot is so rich in carotene. Uh, when, when you eat it as a whole vegetable, raw, uh, the, the fiber keeps you from absorbing almost all of the um, carotene passes through you. And uh, when you juice, you get uh, quite a bit of, of good sugar and minerals, but you also get a tremendous amount of carotene. And carotene works like uh, unsaturated fats in blocking thyroid function and progesterone function. Uh, in the early years of treating thyroid patients, they noticed that infertile women often turned out to have a red spot in the ovary in place of the yellow spot, which is called the corpus luteum. And it was red because uh, such a tremendous amount of carotene had accumulated in it wow. that instead of being yellow, it was a, a red spot. Wow. And that indicates uh, both that the thyroid is unable to convert the cholesterol into progesterone and that the vitamin A, which should be used in the conversion, is blocked by the carotene accumulating in the tissue. And it's the same with the adrenals. The uh, excess carotene blocks adrenal steroid production. And if you eat a lot of cooked pumpkin and carrots, I know this time of year we're going to be having our pumpkin <laughs> for Thanksgiving, but if you eat a lot of that all year round, you're going to be absorbing a lot of carotene, and that could be blocking your vitamin A receptors and causing these hormonal imbalances. If a person has a very vigorous thyroid function and plenty of vitamin B12, they can take care of, of a lot of carotene. But if you notice that the calluses on your hands and feet are starting to get orange tint to them, uh, that means you've got too much carotene. Okay. All right. There is another caller on the uh, on the line. So you're on the air. Um. Hi. Yes. Is that me? Yes. You're on. Hi. Um. I was wondering. I'm um 50 and I'm going through menopause, and I'm having for about the last five months these horrific night sweats where I literally have to get up three or four times in the night and change my sheets and everything. And somebody recommended borage oil. And I wondered what your thoughts were about that and if that is appropriate. And if so, in what way, how does that work? Or And also, if you could recommend any, if there's any dietary changes I should make. I'm actually vegetarian. I don't drink. You know, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. Okay. All right. Well, so far, so far as the uh, your perspective uh, on that lady's uh, situation, Doctor Pete, um, would you would you like to discuss that? I know we've got some certain thoughts on it, but um, uh, I'd like to share. Unsaturated oils like borage um, have some short-range beneficial effects by uh, blocking some of the immune inflammatory reactions, but that ends up as being an immunosuppressive process uh, mm -hmm. down the road and, uh, and in the long run it uh, will actually increase inflammatory and stress processes 
Oh. And uh, the um, quickest way to alleviate the night sweats and hot flushes is to um, increase your sugar intake and your protein intake. Uh, the sugar, one of the functions of the sugar is to lower the cortisol and adrenaline. And if your protein intake is too low, it should be 80 grams of good protein. And uh, among vegetables, uh, it happens that the potato protein is the only one that ranks up with the animal proteins, and it's even better than egg protein. Mm. Uh, But the um, uh, milk, for example, and cheese and eggs and potato are the the high-quality proteins, and you should have around 80 grams of good protein per day. And if you don't get enough sugar or starch uh, in your diet, then you're going to use some of your protein for energy, and uh, so that... Uh, impairs your liver function by starving it for protein. And when the liver isn't functioning well, it can't store enough sugar to get you through the night uh, with a steady sugar level. And uh, first your adrenaline surges to try to get more uh, sugar out of your liver. And when your liver is depleted, then uh, your cortisol rises to turn some of your muscle tissue and uh, thymus tissue and skin and other things into sugar uh, to keep your sugar up to a survival level during the night. So it's actually the cortisol surges at night that cause the hot flushes. And uh, sugar is the the first aid. Sugary and salty foods are a quick relief for that, but it has to be against a background of adequate protein and other Nutrients. I see. And and, and um, just quickly, you said milk, cheese, eggs, and what was the other one for the protein? Potatoes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And eight eight ounces of pota- potatoes contains about eight grams of protein. Uh, it's, it's very similar to milk on a weight basis. Yeah. In terms of quality. Eight ounces of milk contains eight grams protein too. <laughs> so then, borage oil actually isn't a good thing for me to take. Uh, no, one of the things it does is to inhibit your ability to d- digest and assimilate protein, and it also um, tends to inhibit your thyroid function, which uh, makes your liver less able to uh, get you through the night uh, without sugar depletion. Oh, okay. And then one more quick question. Um, is agave a good sugar? Uh, yeah, unless it's been overheated. Uh, when it's fresh, it's extremely good, but... If it's very dark, it it is possible that it has become uh, cooked to the point that it's allergenic. It's a matter of how you react to it. I see. I think all of those agave nectars, they have to boil them down to some degree, so they are caramelizing the sugar. Even if they say raw, they still have to concentrate them. It's not like honey that's just very, very sweet when raw. Mm -hmm. And so when when you boil the sugars down and you don't filter out the caramelized portion those are allergenic and carcinogenic wow okay well thank you so much i appreciate it 
Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for your call. Okay, I don't think there are any more callers on the line at the moment. Okay, so Dr. Pete, in terms of the uh, endotoxin production by the bacteria that we've been talking about that are feeding on bad foods and then the starches and those kind of uh, grains and those kind of products, um, what's, your, what's your view on uh, increasing gut motility and decreasing the amount of time it takes from the food to leave the body as a means uh, of reducing endotoxin production is that a viable in your mind um yeah um eating uh the right balance at at each feeding uh some sugar some protein and some fat and having small meals is usually mm-hmm. easy on the intestine uh, some people uh, feel they have to eat for uh, theoretical nutrition rather than for hunger and if you force yourself to eat when you're not hungry, uh, that can uh, lead to uh, stress and uh, sluggishness of your intestine. Okay. Some other, uh, I do want to mention some herbs. I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, but cascara is an herb that does increase um, transit, well, <laughs> decreases transit time, <laughs> increases intestinal peristalsis, and um, is a a laxative that if it's been aged properly, which uh, research has shown that if it's sun-dried and then aged for one year, the anthroquinones, which are the compounds in the cascara, are uh, safe and effective in uh, not only decreasing transit time, but also as an antibacterial. And Dr. Pete, tell us about the the structure of tetracycline and um, cascara. Um, it, uh, there's um, a series that starts actually with vitamin K, uh, it's a quinone structure that um, has been studied from about 1910 uh, on uh, as a, an anti-cancer, uh, antiviral, uh, energy-promoting, respiration-improving, uh, uh, anti-inflammatory, anti-fibrotic substance. And, uh, the, the, for example, the vitamin K is now used to strengthen uh, bones, prevent osteoporosis, and uh, uh, prevent calcification of arteries. Uh, That's a basic uh, vital function that does that tremendous range of uh, functions. And the um, emodin in cascara is just one uh, ring. uh, It's a a three-ring substance, uh, and uh, the... the, um, Tetracycline is a four-ring substance, but they're all quinones that are um, intensified by adding the extra ring. Uh, so from the uh, vitamin K all the way up to set tetracycline, it's a similar uh, biological effect, which has this extreme, it, it sounds too good to be true to, to be able to stimulate respiration, be anti-inflammatory, uh, germicidal, anti-cancer, and so on. Well, so and just uh, in case some of our listeners don't know what tetracycline is, it's a uh, very broad-spectrum old antibiotic that has now been mostly replaced by doxycycline. I've had plenty of arguments with doctors saying, please prescribe tetracycline to this client or that client, and not doxycycline, which is a, the new generation tetracycline, which isn't as safe as tetracycline. But um, nature has a the very similar compound in cascara as well as in tababui, 
otherwise known as Powdarco. And that is not only antibacterial, it's also anti-tumor, antifungal, antiviral, and antiparasitic. And um, both of those herbs can be used without having to make them into a tincture. They're readily water-soluble, or you can just use the... The cascara, the dose is so low, you can just use a pinch of powder as needed. And the tababui is, uh, makes quite a nice tea. And Dr. Pete, you were talking to me um, about a decoction, a boiled wine and uh, tababui powdarco compound. Can you tell me a little bit more about the doctor who used that? Oh, uh, W.F. Koch was um, a Michigan uh, chemistry professor uh, who went into medicine, and he was uh, at the University of Michigan at the time uh, Moses Gomberg uh, discovered free radicals. Uh, he created a free radical uh, that for, it was 20 or 30 years before chemists would believe that such a thing existed. <laughs> but uh, Koch was uh, there at the university and saw the stuff uh, understood its properties and started thinking about uh, what that kind of reaction would mean in the body. And he proposed that we have uh, free radicals in, in the form of quinones in our uh, mitochondria handling energy uh, with creating all of these functions, anti-inflammatory, antiviral, anti-tumor, and so on. And uh, he uh, created uh, a whole range of substances, some more powerful than, than others, and uh, began giving them to cancer patients and allergy patients and, and uh, even uh, infected cows. There was a study in California in which uh, uh, they cured uh, various animal diseases with his uh, so-called anti-cancer reagent. And uh, the famous Albert St. Georgie, who got Nobel Prize uh, related to uh, respiration and vitamin C research, uh, he based practically his whole career on uh, uh, working out the meaning of uh, Koch's work with the, um, the quinones, uh, the, um, the vitamin K uh, ubiquinone is mm -hmm. the, uh, the substance that uh, came much later to be discovered in the mitochondria. Uh, the government uh, twice tried to put Coke in jail, saying that uh, it's in inconceivable that people could have free radicals in their cells <laughs> and that it would be toxic if they did. Uh, but then it turned out that exactly the type of chemical, the quinone, that uh, Coke had postulated turned out to be the essence of how human life creates energy. Well, well Dr. P, I'm sorry for cutting you short, and I know that people are listening would love to hear more of uh, what you have to, to offer. Sir? But um, I, I know we're running out of time here, but I do want to mention some herbs and also especially coming up to this time of the year with Thanksgiving and Christmas and so many people suffering from so many different infections, uh, a lot of uh, times this it's the gut endotoxin, endotoxin from the bacteria that creates the flu-like symptoms and the sniffles and the colds that people get this time of year. So um, stock up on your raw carrot salad and <laughs> uh, 
some cascara powder, tababui, like I mentioned, powdarko, another good herb to use is echinacea. Also, um, golden seal, barberry, and organ grapefruit, those also are antimicrobial if you come down with a, a nasty bug in your intestine. For people who'd like to hear more of uh, Dr. Ray Pete or read his articles, please go to his website, www.raypeat.com. Lots of good information. Well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for the callers. Uh, we really enjoy doing the show. We're so pleased to hear that people want to ask questions and are into it as well. So uh, that's November. We'll see you in December, and the days are getting shorter. And uh, thank you for your time. And good thank night. you. Thank you, Ray P. so much. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. And support for Redwood Community Radio comes in part from the Security Store Incorporated in the Meadows Business Park in Redway. Featuring watershed dry bags and pelican cases in many sizes, both have lifetime warranties and have been tested over time in Humboldt County. The Security Store, solutions for your security needs, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, 923-2363. And support for KMUD comes in part from... Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio, If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.